Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. The show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desks. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at aspirus.co, A-S-P-I-R-U-S dot C-O, and linkshus.com, where you can sell your products everywhere. Hi, John. Hi, Bernard. How are you doing? I am well. Where are you now? I am in Bangkok, Thailand, which is where I'm usually based. I'm definitely talking to John Russell, reporter at TechCrunch. Everybody knows you. Everybody wants to be covered <laughs> on TechCrunch. Definitely have to... In- reintroduce you to some of my new listeners. So what have you been up to with TechCrunch lately? Uh, what kind of stuff have I been covering? Generally speaking, TechCrunch is, is pretty broad. We have two people in Asia. So our kind of scope for coverage is really anything that fits in Asia. But also, you know, as a reporter at TechCrunch, you're free to cover any other things that you're passionate about. Yeah, I mean, Asia is where I, I have the most interest. That's where I've been living for eight years. But yeah, so I cover all kinds of different things, really. And you've also been traveling around Asia, right? Recently, you were been in Singapore for the Kaufman Fellows Southeast Asia right. Summit. What yeah. happened? That was interesting. I was lucky enough to get an invite to that. Lots of VCs from the US came over to Singapore and talked about some of the issues that they're having in the US or some learnings that they've had in the US. And they also, I mean, mainly they were there to kind of see what it's like in Singapore. And I think, you know, lots of guys hadn't really been to Southeast Asia. It was the first time they'd actually been there. They were pretty blown away by the scene in, in Singapore. And I guess the kind of the, the kind of support that they get from the, from the government, that VCs and flights get from the, from the government. So, yeah, I know lots of people who, who were there were very impressed. They also brought in the entrepreneurs from Southeast Asia to the conference as well. Tan Mingliang from Razor and also, I think, Anthony Tan from Grab Taxi, now called Grab. They're also in the conference as well. That's right, yeah. Razor CEO was there. I mean, he's a really interesting guy anyway. He's very engaging. He's got lots of interesting stories to tell. So he's a really good crowd pleaser. He's not very corporate at all. So he he tells some really interesting stories about how the company started out. And yeah, the speakers were awesome. You know, the guys from the government as well. There are a couple of the banks that were there as well. I think, you know, the content was was really lively. So, I mean, I definitely found it of interest. I mean, I didn't really, I didn't fire any stories per se, but, you know, I met some interesting folks and, uh, you know, there might be other things that are coming up. I'm getting you here not because we want to talk about the Kaufman Fellows, but we want to talk about some very interesting things that have been happening in Asia as a whole. I've been also following a lot of your stories, your famous newsletter, which I subscribe to and read (laughs) every week. So there are a couple of interesting news that have been ongoing. I guess the first one was Ola Caps, which is now called Ola. And Uber yep. is now starting a war in motorbikes. I think it's interesting. It's not the first time they've obviously been at war. They've been competing like pretty head to head in India for some time, the last couple of years. But definitely the war has moved from four wheels over to two wheels. But actually, bike taxis themselves on demand aren't particularly new. And, uh, you know, it's been happening in, in Southeast Asia, in Vietnam, in Thailand, in Indonesia too. But the first time it's happened in India. Yeah. They, and they both launched at the same time. So, both companies think that they were first. Interesting, because you know that's not possible. So, do they do that in the first-tier cities like Delhi, Mumbai, Chennai? Yeah, both of them are piloting in Bangalore first of all. But Uber actually launched motorbike taxis in Bangkok first. That was a couple of weeks prior to the launch in India. Yeah. Any interesting things to see? Because now that you move from a four-wheel to a two-wheel, is the pricing model slightly similar to what they do in Thailand as well? I think, yeah, the pricing is really low. So the margins that they're getting on on a ride, I mean, you're talking about sort of one or two dollars per trip. It's really, really low. So I, I talked to both companies about this pretty extensively. And they said that, you know, 
the, the economics are a bit different and it's much more of, of a model that works at scale, at a much, much wider scale. And I guess the argument is that, you know, there are so many motorbikes in Asia, there's potential to bring all those people onto their platform. So yeah, it's really an opportunity to, to widen their services mm-hmm. hugely. How about the Grab versus Gojek in Indonesia? I know that Gojek actually started out with motorbikes first. I guess Uber will is eventually rolled it out to, into Indonesia. Yeah, I think, I mean, Gojek has a huge advantage, right? They have more than 200,000 drivers, which is an insane, you know, kind of fleet. And they're doing way more than just passengers so right now uber and grab well uber is just doing passengers for now grab is doing some services but gojek has gone way beyond that and they're doing sort of groceries on demand packages on demand so they've really expanded and i think that's i mean it's not rocket science right that's what the the end game would be for any any company so i guess uber's challenge is to get in there and you know by any means possible compete with you know gojek and also grab and and build out their service and i and i guess it just adds an, an extra layer an extra touch point with consumers because not everybody could be taking taxi right you just add an extra touch point and then they're thinking that once you get somebody into your platform as a user of any kind of service then they're likely to you know to, to see what other things that you offer and then that way you get them in as a customer maybe they're not always taking a taxi maybe it's one day it's a bike one day it's a taxi one day it's a it's a grocery service you know the idea is that you get them in there and and i and i guess that's where you know bikes can really can we go beyond what they're offering at? From what I'm understanding now is that in Southeast Asia, Uber, Gojek and Grab will be having a three-way fight in the largest market, which is Indonesia. It certainly looks that way. So Uber hasn't yet brought bikes to Indonesia, but I mean, it's an obvious thing that they're going to do. I guess that they haven't done that yet because they're still working out how the system's going to work. And Indonesia, is the, as you say, is the toughest market because there are already two companies. Well, there's more than two companies who are already doing this. So they can maybe perfect their own idea or how the model is going to work in other places. And then, yeah, at some point, bring it into Indonesia to compete with the others. On that note, I also wanted to, there's another story you felt is which is on Didi raising another 1 billion more than Uber in China. So what is going on there then? Uh, <laughs> it depends who you ask what's going on, right? If, mm. you talk to, if you talk to the guys at Didi, you know, they'll say we still have $3 billion. That's an important distinction. $3 billion on their bank account from previous funding rounds. They say that they're raising more money because A, they can raise it and B, they want to invest it in lots of different areas. So they, they say that they, they need that capital. The kind of thing we're talking about here is like, is what they say anyway, is that investing in their platform to make, you know, faster collection times, you know, more efficient use of the drivers on the, in their fleet and so on and so forth. If you talk to Uber about this, Uber says this is testament to the fact that like DD is burning cash, like there's no tomorrow and they need to up their bank balance. So it's really hard to know like who to believe. And it's kind of like you're a kid, you know, sitting at the breakfast table and mum and dad are going through a divorce and you don't really know which of them is actually telling the truth. So it's probably somewhere in the middle, I would guess. Like DD wants to spend more money on his platform and at the same time, it, it probably is burning a lot of money. So there's probably two two sides to that, I guess. I remember that there is recently a quote from Travis Kalanick that Uber is relatively profitable in the US but in China they are burning even also even for them they are also burning a billion dollars as well yeah so he he said that I mean honestly like the Uber's already pledged to invest a billion in China so I I mean I don't really get I think he's just conflating the word burning with spending they say that Didi says that says that it's break even in kind of tier one and tier two cities in China but Uber says that's not true so I mean literally like they they literally cannot agree on anything whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, as someone who's in the middle, and there's not, there's also not a lot of people who actually do know 
about China, especially when talking about the whole of China, right? It's a huge market. Like few people actually understand a market really, really well at scale. And there aren't that many analyst reports either. So honestly, I, I think it's really hard to know exactly what's happening. I mean, definitely both companies are spending a, a, a lot of money. DD is obviously raising more and raising faster than U- Uber China is. But I mean, they're both raising billions. So, you know, they're obviously spending billions too. That's a conversation we're going to talk a little bit further down the road. But there's another interesting thing happened. I think it's Eduardo Severin, the former co-founder of Facebook, who strikes again, but this time in India. I mean, he did a lot of investments in Southeast Asia and also in Silicon Valley in the last couple of years. But I think this is the first time he is in India. So what company did he invest in? So he invested in a company called Hopscotch, which is it's like one of these e-commerce companies that targets a particular vertical, being the female mother vertical, basically. He's done similar investments in Southeast Asia, actually. He's backed a couple of companies in Indonesia that do similar things. I guess he's putting up an appreciation of these verticals and he's moving into India as well. Have you still able to meet him and have an interview with him anytime soon? Me? No, maybe you can bring him on your podcast and I, and I can and I, and I can uh, pop on for a bit and to say hi. I, he's not particularly... I think he does media in a certain way like you know he'll give statements to stories of he, he's an investor but as far as I know he hasn't done any face-to-face media and certainly I've, I have not been the person to make that happen at this point anyway <laughs> I don't have any access I've tried many times but take it from me if listeners you are interested you can always tweet to him coming back but there's something else that was actually quite important in Southeast Asia recently was Rakuten's shutdown and I guess everybody knows that Rakuten is sort of J- the Japanese top e-commerce marketplace there's some impact to I think they shut down the Singapore Indonesia and Malaysia office so what's happening? It wasn't actually that clear, to be, to be fair. But I think what happened was they have a few marketplaces that they operate in Southeast Asia. And as far as I know, they kept the office in Singapore where they have their staff open, but they actually closed the marketplaces. Because, I guess because they weren't doing well. Rekutan is a funny one because they seem to be so successful in Japan that they never really managed to make anything stick outside of Japan. I mean, in the US, they've done some massive acquisitions, you know, gain market share that way. But certainly in Southeast Asia, they haven't really done anything that's been... I mean, they've been here you know, for a long time. I think the acquisition in Thailand was is sort of at least five years old. But they never really seemed to make it stick. And I know that, you know, they hadn't integrated their their platforms. So for example, the the Thai company was just running the same as it had run previously. There was no integration with a global shit. And so you just wonder like what are they actually doing? <laughs> you see in these markets. So it wasn't I mean I wasn't massively surprised. I mean they Obviously, they've had some problems in, d- d- domestically in Japan, like some of their, their kind of big yielding businesses have, have struggled uh, over the last year. So I guess they decided to be a bit more capital efficient and shut down the, the markets that, you know, where they'd made investments in the past, thinking that, you know, in five years time, this is going to be a great investment and it hadn't paid off. So they figured, you know, let's focus on stuff that's actually going to make us money now. And, and Southeast Asia is a tough one because even the so-called leaders in the, in the online commerce space, even, you know, they're, they're not really winning. They're just not losing as badly as e- everyone else at this point it's hard to say that there's any company that's doing commerce in Southeast Asia that's, that's doing well given only the marketplace shutdown I think they still retain Vicky which is the video site and also Rakuten Ventures as well to sort of keep the investment footprint within the region yeah that's right and I think they've kept some stars so I think they'll still be doing some things they launched like a C2C app so like like you can you know if I want to sell something to you or I want to sell something that's secondhand say I can go inside the app and I can sell it and they, that's been in, going on in Japan for a while and they just launched it in Taiwan and then they're going to be launching it in Southeast Asia too but it's, actually it's quite a funny one because they invested in Carousel which is a, a similar like P2P kind of selling app they're launching an app that competes almost directly with Carousel in the markets that Carousel plays in so uh, I don't really know how that happened. I mean, you think as an investor that they would try and work with one of their companies. I mean, no one's really said anything about why. 
I asked you know both companies no one said anything about why that's happening so I mean I guess on one hand it's a good validation for Carousel but on the other hand you know you have to wonder like if you take money from a big company like Rakuten and you can't lean on them when they want to do stuff like this what's the point in you know in, in get, getting them on board <laughs> feels like the with friends like these who needs enemies yeah it's, I mean I, I, I mean I have a lot of opinions about Rakuten as an as an investor I don't think they've really ever done any deals that have been particularly beneficial they're not particularly smart money but i mean that's a whole different podcast probably <laughs> yeah i also assume so and then think that amazon is also kicking their butts in japan now given that amazon is doing pretty well in japan in the e-commerce yeah. side as well but i, I mean i don't know the ins and outs but i do i mean one thing about recordtime's model in japan is that they have some seriously deep roots like they do like banking services financial services so you know they they have a really strong kind of base in japan but they just never been able to make that same position in, in other markets and then what, that means that you're competing with, uh, with other companies that are in the same position as you and I think that they don't really know how to do that because they're used to having a massive advantage at, at home because they have all these, all these deep roots. Coming back to this is that I wanted to talk to you about this really interesting topic. Winter is coming to Asia so or winter is already <laughs> here in Asia. Yeah. There have been rumors of down rounds happening in Asia, mainly due to the Chinese equities crash and US mutual funds reducing valuations of unicorns. Have you seen anything close to that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I haven't reported on anything like this, but there's definitely been a lot of rumors out there. And I think, yeah, the, those factors you've mentioned are definitely part of it. This is going to happen anyway, really, because there are the kind of environment in Southeast Asia is growing very quickly for startups sort of if you're looking to raise seed money right in this part of the world there's lots of investors now that can do that you know Series A was once you know an issue for companies a couple of years ago now there are lots of VC firms and investors that can cover your Series A round once you get down to sort of D, E, F like there aren't many companies that are on that you know platform at the moment and once you start raising some multiple hundreds of millions of dollars there are so, only so many VCs that can actually cut you checks for that so I think that like it's a combination as you say of, of some external factors from you know China and the US and a general I guess changing mood of investors but it's also natural because the further you get down that pipe the, the fewer options that you that you, that you have so so yeah I think some companies are finding that it's just actually much harder here because you know it's not an environment that's built or that has had that many companies that, that, have, that have gone through that that kind of uh, war which comes to this one interesting vertical the taxi wars or I call it the on-demand mobile transportation services the total amount of funding now raised across Uber, Lyft, Didi, Ola, and Grab is about almost, I think, seven to eight billion based on Josh reporting and based on some of your recent articles as well. And they now all own a common investor in the form of Tiger Global. And I think that now people are still talking about them raising some more money. I mean, there's only so much money you can raise, right? Do you see consolidation? And in your view, who will care first? I think they share a common investor, Tiger Global, but Tiger Global is a hedge fund. So I think that they don't invest like a normal investor. That kind of explains why they've, in some verticals, they've backed companies that actually compete head on so i don't think it's as necessary a sign that uber's going to buy like uber's going to be buying like lyft or dd or anyone else i mean the obvious speculation is like dd has invested in ola in india and grab in southeast asia and lyft in the us so the obvious assumption is that you know at some point they're going to acquire these companies and then have similar kind of scale to uber i mean i i personally think that's possible but i don't see that there's any immediate benefit at this point because i think that dd's so busy the chinese market which as we mentioned they're you know spending a ton of money on that already and it's really is an important battle so i think they would prioritize that over everything else but i do think that they have invested in other companies to help them stay afloat perhaps or to 
to help them gain, gain some advantage because you know the enemy of my enemy is my friend or whatever however the phrase goes but you know they have a vested interest in uber struggling in in other parts of the world because that that weakens the the whole company so i think that acquisition no not yet but who knows maybe in the future you could also see a merger happening right they may not want to basically consolidate from the form of acquisition but also from a form of merger because they need to reduce their burn rates because one of the things that there's always been coming up whether in rumors leakage of news is that the burn rate is really really high yeah i think that's i, I mean i don't know the ins and outs i mean unfortunately these companies don't share me their most intimate financial details but i can imagine that it's actually probably not that different in terms of the unit economics across mm. india china and southeast asia so i'd be very surprised if gd buying say uh, grab in southeast asia would probably make their problems a lot harder because i can imagine that the market is a little bit further behind in southeast asia whereas india i can imagine it being further behind china so i think that for now like i mean i think they would acquire one company if that company was going to go out of business or have some kind of horrendous you know, problem if they couldn't find a find a buy. I think they they would probably consider stepping in and and buying them for the good of the the whole business. Mm. But I don't think that at this point it makes any kind of sense to buy companies that are also burning money in other parts of the world just because Uber's there. But then again, you know, I'm not an investor or a, or a finance guy, so you know, maybe there's a there's a good reason that I'm not thinking of there. I, I guess also the logistics and transportation industry are also get to be part of these investment rounds or even get to figuring out whether they should be consolidated. But in any case, we are coming back to the question of whether winter is here or winter is coming. Have you seen or heard of any fire sales or companies running out of money? Right. We've seen Passport Asia actually ran out of money and then KFI was the one who raised $12 million. Yeah, I mean, I think this, this is going to happen anyway. Like the more startups you have in Southeast Asia, then the more are going to be failing anyway. And not in a bad way, just because like, you have to, you know, companies go after opportunities and they don't always exist or they don't always manifest in the way that, that you know, that you might have thought. So I think this is completely normal. And actually, there aren't really any that are failing in Southeast Asia. I mean, I'm not sure about you, but I, I can't really recall all that many. And yet in the US, you know, it's, it's not uncommon. Meerkat, the, the streaming service in the US is just pivoting, like a massive pivot, and they raised $50 million dollars a year ago that doesn't happen in Southeast Asia so but I think a lot of the companies that usually goes out of business they become zombie as well part of that thing that I always notice is that certain companies just ran on autopilot and actually they have really <laughs> totally ran out of money so it's something that you don't see a lot but moving forward, probably you will start to see more and more happening. Yeah, there's a good example in India, not Southeast Asia, but India. So there are a couple of budget hotel companies. And w one of them, yeah, I mean, just literally one day ran out of money. There was no more cash. The website went down. Like one minute they're there, one minute they're not. That was a company called Zo Rooms, Z-O Rooms. Mm. And then Oyo Rooms, which is the market leader that you know, established this business, kind of just quietly brought them up. Zorums was backed by, I think, by Tiger Global, and it, they, they'd certainly raised uh, money. They'd raised uh, more than 30 million US dollars. But, you know, they just, maybe, maybe a bit too careless. I'm not, I'm not sure of the exact stuff, but, you know, one day they're there, then, you know, the next day they're gone. And I think it's happening in India. There's acquisition, m and stuff happening in India. I think it's going to happen in Southeast Asia too. It's just a matter of time, you know, once the kind of baseline of startups grows and there's more companies that are out there, you know, more of them are succeeding, some of them are failing, you know, it's going to happen. But I guess in the last two years in China, India and Southeast Asia, I mean, some startups have actually been fed truckloads of money focusing on growth. Do you see the shift back towards unique economics and profitability within the next six months or the two years? Because I think this is where we talk about winter, right? If winter comes, then some will die and the one with the most cash, last man standing, will be able to live to, to make the killing in the end. Yeah, it definitely seems like, I, I mean, I personally 
think that a lot of companies have overestimated the kind of growth that they can get in Southeast Asia. So they, they've assumed, like, based on like charts and maybe data and spreadsheets, that you know they're going to grow X per year. And the, the longer game is that there's growth in this part of the world, but it's not going to be like China style growth, where you know the smartphone population is growing like double digit every every few months. It's 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 a it's a longer kind of gradual curve. I definitely think that maybe Rocket Internet in, in particular has, by virtue of having poured more than a billion US dollars in, into companies in this part of the world, I think they're suddenly realizing that, oh, hey, you know what, this is actually not the kind of the kind of growth figures that we were expecting at this point, and they've had to kind of readjust. You know, I know that talking to them a couple of years ago, Lazada and Zalora, they're two sort of flagship commerce companies. They've both raised multiple hundreds of millions of dollars from investors. I think actually between the two of them, they probably raised more than a, more than a billion US dollars. And they were like saying to me, yeah, you know, 2015 is the year we're going to start turning in a profit. Mm-hmm. We're 2016 now, and they're still probably two years away from that. You know, uh, people, people talking to people who who know them, they were saying, you know, we're still we're still two years away from from, from doing that. So, and that's a good example of how the company that's the company that's put the most money in this part of the world was out by that, of their figures by like two years, and that's a massive you know margin of error. So, I think yeah, you know, if they're doing that as well, then other companies are too. So there's definitely a time to to re- readjust the kind of goals that, that folks had, had had put down for Saki Stage. Yeah, I was reading this interesting article from five thirty eight dot com yesterday, and then it was it actually gives a very interesting thesis about good companies. It says that you know if you are a company like Amazon, you should be now near failing. I mean that was the headline of the article. What and what it was trying to say was that at the point in during the dot-com crash, Amazon was almost dead because they are they they tried to do too much growth and they almost couldn't get to profitability. And it took, I think, something like three quarters to basically hit the first time to manage their costs. What the article is also saying is that if you were to look carefully, the companies that survive not being shut down will be the ones that will become the Amazons of the future. Do you see that view? Yeah, I think it, I think it makes sense. Like the whole point of being a startup is that you're scaling your business, right? You're not optimizing yourself to be profitable from the first day. I, I completely agree with you. Like there is an element of that too, but at the same time, like you, there has to be a an actual opportunity to become a, a company that makes money. You can't just be losing every every quarter. I think. The fact that Rocket Internet was so far out with its predictions, it's definitely worrying for, for those companies. I mean, sure, you don't have to be profitable right away, but if you say you're going to be profitable by, by year X and it gets there and you're still like two or three years out, then like that's gonna there's going to be deeper problems beyond that, right? There's going to be deeper issues beyond that. So, I mean, I think it's definitely interesting to watch. They, they, they've stopped raising so much money at this point. It's not clear whether they're going to be listing the companies or, or selling them or what. I mean, yeah, it's definitely an interesting time for, for Rocket Internet in Southeast Asia. Mm. Sure. I think we had a conversation one year ago and we probably now, if you look back, we are kind of spot on to where they are going now. I wanted to ask you this question. Golden Gate, Ventures recently came out with the view that Southeast Asia startups should just consider M&A instead of going public. And I mean, get in, it is known that in China and Northeast Asia and India companies, I think they are much more far-sighted to say that they have ambitions in being listed in New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. Yeah. Do you yeah. agree with that view? Every founder that you ask will say like, you know, we don't build a business for an exit. You know, that's what they always say. So if I was a founder, that's what I would say as well. But I think the fact that Indian companies are just now thinking about IPOs like Shop Clues was the first one to really like say that they wanted to IPO, and maybe the the kind of consensus about Southeast Asia is it's sort of two or three years behind you know India. So I mean I guess that the IPO train hasn't started yet, but no, it definitely seems like there are 
I mean, there aren't really any IPAs, right? The only IPAs you see are reverse listings on the, Austa- on, on the Australian exchange, which don't really count, I don't think. I just want to come back to the question that we started off talking about. So is winter here or winter is coming to Asia? I think it's always winter, right? <laughs> no, it definitely, definitely seems like there's, from talking to kind of talking to entrepreneurs and, and investors, definitely seems like there is an element of what's happening in the US and, and to a lesser extent like China and India happening here too. But, but I mean, I think it all depends on, on your startup, right? And I think if you're early stage, Exactly stage. I think it's a great time to be here because I think there's lots of opportunities. You know, people are using tech in ways that have been used in other markets, but it's very, very different here. It's very localized. And I think there's never been as many investors covering sort of seed, pre-series A, series A. So I think it's actually a great time in, in many ways to be a startup here. But definitely like the, the guys who are who are further down the, the the line have their own set of problems. You know, and I think it applies to investors as well, right? They have to raise some LPs, they have to show, they have to justify. You know, if they want to raise a Series B fund, they have to justify like, hey, this is there's actually a market for Series B companies. So I think it's always winter if you're one of the companies that's right at, right out at the front, like raising this, the first Series A, uh, the first Series B, the first Series C. But I think that for everyone else, actually, it's, it's a pretty good time to be in Southeast Asia. I think it's also in the other parts of Asia too. So John, thank you for coming on to the show. But before that, there's always the last question. How do my Pleasure. audience find you? Don't find me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm on Twitter a lot. Just my name, which is John Russell on Twitter. And uh, I have a newsletter, which is the Asia Tech Review. So asiatechreview.com. And yeah, that's pretty much how you, how you can find me online. Mm. You can find me at blongcw or subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and ACAST. And of course, tweet to us and drop us some feedback. And once again, John, thanks for coming on the show. And I think we will discuss so winter again back. in a couple of months of time. <laughs> when, it's, when, when it starts to actually snow, huh? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Bennett.